All right, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We're on season five, episode 19. Sick. 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 <laughs> I didn't do a single behind the glass because it was just, this episode was too much for me with the, was like, it? the kids stuff. I think I did. I took these notes a little while ago, but I think I did one because it just happened to be in a scene that I was doing. Yeah, this whole episode is absolutely fucked. Totally. It starts fucked with this kid being fucked and then it gets more fucked with the, ugh. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. The opening scene, two dorm roomies are arguing. One is kind of goth and the other is preppy. It's a classic mismatch odd couple TV show roommate shit. It's it's actually the two old guys from Grumpy Old Men and the odd <laughs> couple. What are their names? <laughs> Fucking the one who plays Dennis the Menace's neighbor. They're dressed in wigs and one of them's goth. <laughs> the preppy girl is upset at having to use her cell phone data to make calls because the other roommate, the goth one, is using the landline to be online. <laughs> so have we explained the early two thousands and nineties enough for that yeah. to like make sense to everyone? Her cell phone data is in effect until mm-hmm. nine PM, most likely. Mm-hmm. depending on her provider and she can't use the landline because it's being used yeah. the internet <laughs> dial up so the goth roomies on the computer in a chat room and says it's life or death she can't log off right now she shows the other girl what is in the chat room and it says quote rage is eating me alive must release it i have a knife and a rope and a five-year-old mm. screw her innocence then slice her up the goth girl is like, he swears he's not joking. So the preppy roommate is like, this is sick, and sends a message in the chat that she's going to call the Denver cops. I don't know why. I think they like want, she's like, I'm going to call the Denver police. <laughs> and it's like, I never say I'm going to call the city's cops that I live in. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> the city's cops. Yeah, it's, well. They're just like showing that they're not in New York. It's that thing where, like, a bad movie will go, come on, Derek, you're my brother, through (laughs) our our parents being married, because your mom married my dad after my mom died of cancer when we were teenagers, but we were friends in the beginning. Like, you know, they explain the whole thing. Yeah. The goth girl is like, dude, what the fuck? We were trying to calm him down. So the online person, his AIM name, the AOL instant messenger name, is Psycho Killer. He replies, thanks for the heads up. I love killing pigs. I'll mow them down when they come through my door. The goth girl takes the preppy girl's cell phone and makes a call. Cut to the Denver Police Department. This dude plays Piper's dad in Orange is the New Black. And this is his Mm -hmm. second of three spots on SVU. And his voice is like baritone velvet. Mm. Ugh. So the Denver PD detective makes a call about the messages from Psycho Killer. They're getting his info from the internet provider they used. So the provider says that the account holder is Jeremy Ostello, but he's not in Denver. Where is he? Where else? <laughs> New York City. Roll, Roll that beautiful, beautiful bean, bean footage. footage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually wrote that down. <laughs> you did? Yeah. I wrote down little cop. Where is he? Seasoned cop. Where else? New York City. Because all seasoned cops know that only sickies are from New York City. I'm like, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. What is that even supposed to mean? Where else? <laughs> New York City. Cut to New York City. Benson and Stabler and the SWAT team are fucking rushing through an apartment building. They bust the door in and a man and a woman and a child are at a table. The man is like, what the fuck's going on? His name is Jeremy Ostelo. Stabler confronts him about his fucking name, Psycho Killer. But Jeremy's wife is like, that's our son's account. His name is J- J- it's Jeremy Jr. JJ. <laughs> 
<laughs> their daughter is freaking out and runs to Olivia, but the mom grabs her. Remember that? That was super weird. Yeah. JJ is brought into the room. He's found hiding under his bed. He's like fucking eight years old or something. Yeah. JJ is like, oh, it was just a joke. This kid is the kid in the Fountains of Wayne, Stacy's mom music video. Stacy's oh. mom has got, got it going, going on. on. And he like pretends to be the boyfriend of the Stacy, can't you see? You're yeah. just not the girl for me. So Oof. he's the little boy that like loves the mom. Yeah. I went and watched the video because I'm like, I don't remember the, but he's like the main little boy and he's like floating in the pool and mom's changing into a swimming suit or whatever. And he's like, whoa, like a Schmitz gay commercial. And he's Chris Farley. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I noticed fucking Stabler's hair is still dark. I haven't been, I didn't look again. Oh my God. I can't believe it. Oh, I swear to God, it's darker. Back in the precinct, Jeremy Ostolo, the dad, and JJ, the kid, are being questioned. The dad's like, he's 12 years old for Pete's sake. Didn't you pull pranks at that age? Mm. Stabler reads him one of the sick-ass messages out loud, and dad's like, okay, fine. JJ won't be allowed to see any more horror movies or websites. Problem solved. Let's go, son. And JJ's like, that's not what made me send the messages. Stabes goes, yeah, who did? And the dad keeps jumping in and says, please. He was just trying to impress other kids on the internet. He said internet like he was sounding it out for the first time. Yeah, he was probably. Internet. He was. He's probably like, this is new for me. Internet. World Wide Web. Surfing the web. Cruising the web. I don't know what's right. (laughs) Stabler tells the dad that he thinks the kid was being serious about the messages he sent. And dad's like, then you're an idiot. Said with the confidence of a mediocre white man. I'd watch Mm. it, buddy. Do you not see that his sleeves are rolled the fuck up? He doesn't know. He has the tightest little butthole mouth, too, by the way, the dad. <laughs> yeah. I say this way later because I it, too. Re- I just it remembered really, it. Oh, it really <laughs> came clear later that I'm like, oh, my God, he is the dad from The Incredibles. He has the exact same face. Yes. He, he's the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that. I was just talking about his butthole mouth. Oh, I know. But yeah, I know. you're right. You're right. All right. We're still in the interrogation room. All right. Let's 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 move on. JJ, this little fucking shit, tells Stabler. Give it up, detective. My parents would die before they'd let anything happen to me. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? You little motherfucker. Him and his dad have a lot of attitude for mm-hmm. two dicks that have never gone toe-to-toe with Steve. Back at the Ostolo residence, as JJ's computer is being seized, Benson is talking with Mrs. Ostolo. She's in two more episodes after this one and was in Too Big to Fail and Step Up 3D. So... <laughs> What does that mean? Step up 3D. I don't know. It was a, it was another step up dance movie, but in 3D, like so you'd get like a roundhouse kick over your head if you wore the glasses. Yeah, like whenever anybody did the the lean in embarrassing thing. <laughs> yeah, they're like what? Yeah, that that move. Then you get it like whoa in the movie theater. <laughs> <You're> awesome. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God, I can almost touch the embarrassment. Oh, my God, I can almost touch the cringe. This is crazy. (laughs) This lady was also recently a judge in a couple episodes of Organized Crime. So they like her. Mrs. Ostolo calls JJ sensitive and that Mm. what he sent was nonsense. He doesn't even understand. She's running around pissed that their front door is fucked up. It's like, oh, my God, you guys fucked up our front door. What are the neighbors going to say? And Benson's like, um... Who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. Benson asks her how long her son has been obsessed with violence. And Mrs. Ostolo is like, he's not. 
Mm. Benson asks if JJ has ever been violent toward his sister, Lisette. Mom's like, he hasn't. Benson wants to talk to Lisette anyway, alone. Mm -hmm. Underage suspects are allowed to have a parent present. Underage victims don't have the same right. And I'm like, mm -hmm. is that going to come up later? Underage victims mm. don't have the same right. Are they going to be able to get a conversation out of somebody? You know. Mm -hmm. That's just, I yeah, thought that was foreshadowing, but back at the precinct, Stabler's still going over the chat room messages with JJ. Stabler wants to know if the messages that the girls were talking about, remember at the opening scene yeah. at the beginning of the episode, was about his sister, Lisette. She's five. Mm -hmm. And remember, mm -hmm. he was like, I've got a five-year-old here and I'm fucking blah. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's not about her. But, you know, she's fucked with me before. She melted one of my CDs in her Easy Bake Oven. Blah. What a bitch. Killer. What the fuck? Yeah. He says that when people make him mad, he doesn't do anything. He just imagines hurting them and it makes him feel better. And Stabler goes, so it's like a release valve. You think about it, but you don't actually do it. And this little fuck. That's what I said, moron. And Stabler is really keeping his cool. And I jump in the room and I'm like, you shut your mouth. Dickie would fucking never. And Stabler's like, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> JJ says he thinks about violence all the time, but doesn't go into detail. He's just like, you know, life is stressful. Mm -hmm. And Stabler's like, for sure, we're friends now. And then he describes a stressful rape case he had the other day, not leaving out any detail at all. Mm -hmm. JJ's dad, who's also there, jumps in and is like, he's fucking like, stop, he's a kid. Why are you saying this shit to yeah. him? But Stabes just keeps talking over him, giving him graphic detail. And Stabes like, this is a child you're talking to. The point is... <laughs> Like Stabler fucking like grabs the printouts of JJ's conversation and just whips him at his dad. He's like, look yeah. at this shit. <laughs> yeah. He's going to act like an adult predator. He's going to get talked to like he's one. Mm -hmm. And this scared straight shit is not working on this little psychopath. No. Now we're at the Ostolo residence. Benson talks to Lisette. Benson asks Lisette if her brother has ever hurt her. And she says he pulled her hair once. Benson asks her if he's hurt her any other times. Benson asks Lizette to point to where she was hurt on the doll and she only pulls the hair. Benson asks her if he's hurt anyone else and she says, not me, but he has hurt Beverly and Erica. She points to the doll's genitals when Benson asks where JJ had hurt them. I mean, the area where genitals would be. The doll was not... On the doll. Fucking, <laughs> yes, on the on doll. The doll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she points to the doll's huge... <laughs> anatomically correct <laughs> throbbing no i'm just kidding okay <laughs> oh god gross <laughs> benson's like where are beverly and erica and she, lizette says they're in the hospital she starts to go under her bed and she pulls out this big box and it's full of broken burned and ripped up dolls most of the damage is to the doll's genital areas lizette calls the box the hospital okay for this 30 seconds of whoa we're supposed to be thinking that these are people and they're in the hospital mm -hmm. and she's like they're my dolls and this is the hospital yeah so now when the precinct did you yeah after that i was just like i don't want to do it <laughs> behind the glass craigan talks to jj's dad craigan tells him his son needs help dad tries to brush everything off saying that boys break their sister's dolls craigan's like um he literally mutilated 23 dolls in the genital area and he's fucking emotionally disturbed dude mm -hmm. and his dad's like no 
And Craig is like, this is the perfect segue. I have a parental consent form to commit JJ for a psych observation. And he, his dad's like, no, I don't want him fucking labeled as crazy. And Craig is like, oh, so labeling him as a criminal then? That's fine. So if he doesn't get a psych observation, JJ can get charged with posting terroristic threats, which is a felony. Fucking dad is pissed and says, I'm so fucking sick of people co-opting 9-11 for their own agenda. Where do you want to send him? Guantanamo Bay? So yeah, he doesn't want to do the psych observation. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but Craig doesn't want him around the set. Dad has to choose between juvenile detention or the Bellevue adolescent psych ward. In the precinct, the whole gang is discussing JJ. Munch comes in and brings up JJ going to the, quote, loony bin. Benson says Craig got dad to agree to a 72-hour hold. Toots comes in and Stabler asks what info he got from the neighbors. Toots says that all the neighbors think that JJ should be locked in a rubber room permanently. Apparently, JJ has terrorized a lot of the younger kids in the building, like screaming in their face for looking at him. And once he locked some kids in a closet and convinced them they were going to be fucking murdered, they cried for an hour before he let them out. So fucked. You're fucking 12, bro. Yeah. After that incident, dad sent the parents of the kids expensive gifts to smooth things over. So Stabler thinks that JJ is a ticking time bomb because duh. And his Uh parents are making it worse by smoothing his shit over all the time. Yeah. Toos is like, we got to call the school and see what he's done there. At Faulkner Preparatory School, the head of school is reading off JJ's records to Toots. Trouble paying attention in class, poor grades, inappropriate behavior, inappropriate how. JJ drew Mm -hmm. a pornographic image on a girl's desk in marker, and he wrote a graphic note to another girl in class. The head had reached out to his parents after that girl was made extremely uncomfortable and suggested therapy to them. Shocker, they weren't fucking into it. (laughs) The school is going to let him finish out the year, but decided they're not going to have him back next year. She's like, I would want him gone now, but the school year is almost done. So yeah, it was suspected that JJ had hurt another student in a locker room fight, but the kid he had attacked denied it. And she was really thrown by the whole thing. Mitchell, the other kid was beat to absolute fuck and JJ didn't have a scratch on him, but Mitchell is the one who's known as the school bully. So like what happened? Mm hmm. Let's go find out Munch and Toots. Munch and Toots head to the gym uh, where the kids are. (laughs) (laughs) I got embarrassed halfway through and I'm like, well. (laughs) Munch and Toots head into the gym where kids are going ham in fucking dodgeball. Toots Mm -hmm. is like, dude, I fucking love dodgeball. And Munch, of course, I carried a briefcase and wore transition lenses. Those kids destroyed my little beanpole body in dodgeball. He's like, I was 98 pounds. Then we see a kid get out by getting hit in the head with a ball. And I'm like, isn't that universally illegal in dodgeball? I know that's not the point of this scene, but mm -mm, no headshots. Mm -hmm. They find Mitchell. He's the little dick throwing the headshots. Speaking of headshots, that was my nickname in high school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't even fucking get it out. <laughs> this kid looks like fucking Bobby Hill, but like 15. He's big for his age. And he'll be back to SVU in season eight. That's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> Is that how that goes? <laughs> Toots bops him on the head with a ball. He's like, you're out. Come on. And Mitch is like, what the f- So now they got him off to the side. Mitchell's describing what happened to them when the fight began. They were in the locker room. He snapped JJ with a wet towel, which fucking hurts. Mm -hmm. But he was describing it like, all these little fucks are so sassy this episode. He was Mm -hmm. like, someone maybe snapped him with a towel when he was coming out of the shower. I don't know. 
Also, can mm-hmm. we be done showering in groups in a locker room in school? That's so weird. How many issues? It's so fucking bizarre. I never did it. I would change like sideways and I just was always uncomfortable with that. Same. Or in, in the bathroom. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I just don't no, change it's just in front the of most people. awkward. Yeah. You're the weird one if you go into a stall to change when it's like, no, you get to have autonomy and like whatever. And it's mm-hmm. and it's like when people get bullied the most is at that age. Mm-hmm. And then when it's just it's just a bizarre practice. It also might be like, I'm sure there's lots of cultures where people like change in front of each other and it's not a big deal. But we've also been like, we have like a really prudish culture. Yeah. But like we are brought up that way. So we still, we feel that way, like uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Mitchell tells him after he snapped JJ with a towel, JJ went fucking ape shit, wailing on him. He gave Mitchell a bloody nose and a black eye, but JJ's half Mitchell's size. Like, what gives, bud? Mitchell didn't do anything because JJ was screaming rape over and over while he was beating on Mitchell Mm. and Mitchell was freaked out by it so he just fucking took a beating Mm -hmm. back at the precinct the squad goes over new details from the talk with Mitchell explosive rage changes in behaviors sexual acting out bad grades classic signs of being molested Mm -hmm. by whom though JJ's in no extracurriculars and he's got no older friends or friends in general Mm -hmm. well that leaves mom and dad Stabler points out that dad was running interference during the initial interview so it's not like JJ would have spoken up at the time and Mm -hmm. Benson thinks the mom knows about what happened to JJ based on how she behaved behaved when they met her. Staves admits he was hard on JJ, so it might be tough to get the kid to trust them now. Mm. I don't blame you, dude. I also would have been tough on him. Mm. Cragen wants Huang to visit JJ at Bellevue. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I went back to that thing that was said. I was like, oh, you know what Benny said earlier about victims not getting the same rights to have parents in the room as perps do. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm like, that's what's coming. They don't mm-hmm. outline it, but I think that is they that is what they do, yeah. basically. So now we're at Bellevue. Huang is talking to JJ and asking him how he feels. JJ says, I'm locked up in an insane asylum. How do you think I feel? He's such a sassy little fucking turd. I know, but he's been through a lot. I know, but... I'm not mad at him anymore. (laughs) I feel bad for him. I know. It's just like, I'm like, how are you 12 and talking like that? That's like wild to me. JJ says he's pissed at his parents for letting him wind up in Bellevue. He's like, they don't fucking care about me. Wong says that it sounds like his parents have let him down before. And then JJ's like, I can't say. Wong tells him that he can tell him what happened, but JJ gets pissed and yells, you don't understand. I'm not allowed to talk about it. And Stabler throws everything off the table. Like they're a bunch of cups. (laughs) 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 He tells Wong it's because of a contract. His parents made a deal to not tell what happened to him. Oh my God. And then Wong's like, dude, there's no contract that can legally cover up a crime and you can tell me what happened. And then Wong also says, they're not protecting you. Why are you protecting them? Tell me where it happened. Oh, and then the music gets all swelly. Oh, JJ was at a sleepover with a bunch of kids, but JJ was the only one allowed to sleep in the quote treasure room, which was the host Billy's room. Billy laid out pajamas for JJ and he helped him undress, but the story stops and JJ starts crying. Huang sits by him and tells him he's sorry that JJ's parents made him keep the secret so long, but he's got to get it out now. JJ then tells Huang that Billy touched him and Billy made JJ touch him. And then Huang asks JJ what his parents did when he told him. And JJ says they got rich. Ugh. (sighs) 
Billy owns the company JJ's dad used to work for. Billy paid JJ's parents so much money to not tell anyone what happened that they never have to work again. And I was like, oh my God, this is total Michael Jackson shit. Yeah. In the precinct, the gang reviews the new info. Until three years ago, dad worked for a toy company, Tripley Toys, that made over $1.7 billion in sales in that last year. Tripley's Toys is owned by William Billy Tripley, 35 years old, never married, clean record. Billy doesn't run the company. He only inherited ownership. He just gets like a shit ton of money and doesn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So JJ's dad was given $2 million when he left the company. Craigan's like, well, that's, you know, a lot of executives have golden parachutes after they leave. But Sailor's like, yeah, dude, this dude was in fucking middle management. He got a million the next year and a million the current year. Mm. Toots says Billy molested JJ and bought his parents silence. Can you imagine that? No, that's imagine? fucked like, up. Nobody protecting you. And then you mm. tell your parents nobody helps you and they just they profit off. Of, it's fucking insane. And, and they don't even use any of that money to get you therapy. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Ugh. Well, they can't get therapy because they can't talk about. It. Oh, my God. Mm hmm. Munch says Billy gave tens of millions of dollars to children's charities. All the charities he sends stuff to usually revolve around kids. Right. And then Benson's like, there has to be other victims. But how the fuck are we going to weed him out? Stabler says that JJ's statement is enough to arrest Billy. Cragen wants Novak to issue a search warrant before Tripley can clean his house. Now we're at Billy Tripley's house. This motherfucker is wearing so much fucking lip gloss. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. He looks like a lip smacker's ad. Yeah. And it's not like it's weird that a guy's wearing lip gloss. It's that it was so much. It's an it excessive so amount. Much. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are in the house with CSU. Stabler sees a child. <laughs> Leader Hosen, guilty. <laughs> yeah. He's just, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he was eating something at the same time, too. I don't know what was going on, but it was it was funny. Yeah. So there are toys, a soda fountain, etc. Benson thinks it's a lot for a dude that has no kids. And then they see a fucking real goddamn lemur. Mm-hmm. Tripley keeps as a pet. Toot says some offhand comment about what Tripley is probably doing to the lemur. And Tripley's housekeeper gets pissed. She's like, don't you dare insult Mr. Tripley. He's a saint. She says she's never, ever seen anything inappropriate. And there are always 10 servants on staff. And they'll say the same fucking thing. Uh-uh. Munch and Toots go to the treasure room and the housekeeper's like, oh yeah, it's every child's favorite room. It's decorated like a pirate ship and Munch says, pervert ahoy. <laughs> I didn't hear him say that. <laughs> oh my God. It's just the oh, first thing he says that. when he walks in. Munch and Toots go back and forth making like weird pedophile pirate jokes and it's <laughs> odd. I, I didn't put any of them in because I was like, this Maybe is I blocked their-. it out. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> it's like they were just trying to one up each other on these like pervert pirate jokes for a minute. Oh and weird. Like, we don't relate to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a weirdly small bed toots opens a closet full of kids costumes like pajamas mm-hmm. and says oh my god this is just wrong outside of Tripley toys reporters are going ape shit with questions and snapping pics as benny and staves are taking Tripley out in cuffs his lawyer is following and answers the questions by saying it's just people trying to cash in false accusations he's dedicated to helping kids this is a smear on his good name they'll be sued for slander stabe calls him on trying to threaten a victim through the media as he shoves Tripley into the car watch your head he's just like, <laughs> just like <"Go." laughs> okay so so this is the first episode of seven for Tripley's lawyer, reoccurring character Chauncey Zirko. Could they give him a douchier name? Come on. Chauncey. How would you, would, you be, would you just call him Chaunce? Chaunce. Chaunce. <laughs> <laughs> Good joke. 
One of his most well-known is one of his first as Boone in 1978's fucking Animal House. Hmm. He's been acting pretty consistently after that. Memorable movies for us besides that would be The Mask and Traffic. Also, he was Assemblyman Ronald Zellman in The Sopranos and Artie Goodman on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Hmm. Back at the precinct, Benny and Staves question Tripley as he hides behind his lawyer. Tripley insists that he didn't do anything, and he even kind of looks like Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I say here, they've got him wearing a lot of lip gloss. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> I was, there's no way that anybody could not see that. Like, no. they, you can't yeah. miss it. To be able to have any kind of conversation and maintain that amount of lip gloss, you have to be reapplying constantly. Well, wouldn't you be getting all those, like, strings in between your lips? <laughs> Every oh, time God. you talked, like, L- yeah, lip gloss strings, little fuzzies landing on it. You have to go. <laughs> the lawyer wants to know what it'll take for this to go away. Benson tells the lawyer that Billy can't buy his way out of this situation. Mm-hmm. Tripoli says that the Ostelo settlement was business, not molestation. I would never do what I'm being accused of. When asked to see the contract, the lawyer says that they can't because there's an NDA involving the toy patent they bought from Mr. Ostelo. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Shave's like, that's a bunch of crap. That's fucking hush money. We all know mm-hmm. it. Tripley says that kids spend the night at his house all the time. His lawyer backs him up by saying the parents are there too, and if they aren't, they give their permission. They ask Tripley, who weirdly doesn't make eye contact with them at all, how often he sleeps in bed with the kids. And he's like, all the time. What's wrong with that? Benny goes... You're a 35-year-old man? He grandly stands up and looks right at her, goes, I would kill myself before I'd ever hurt a child. And Stabler says what we all know, that pedophiles, Mm -hmm. these types of pedophiles anyway, never think they're hurting them, just that they're loving them. Mm -hmm. Fucking Nambla shit. Yeah. Tripley continues to defend himself, denying the molestation, and says there's nothing more natural and more beautiful than loving a child. Ew. James is like, you're sick. And the lawyer's <laughs> like, we're leaving. And Benny's like, mm, that's cute. You're actually not. Tripley's getting booked. Stabler mentions to the lawyer that they need to plead out in order to save the victim from some more pain. Like they care about that. They don't care. Let's go to the chambers of Judge Terhoon. Judge Terhoon. We first met him in season four, and this is his second of six go-rounds as this guy. I cannot Mm. believe we didn't go through his shit last time. He's been in every fucking classic press to VHS in the 80s and 90s. Every single one. Milk Money with Melanie Griffith. The First Wives Mm. Club with Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, and Bette Midler, Straight Talk with Dolly fucking Parton, Three Men and a Baby, Hello, Ted Danson, Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, The Money Pit with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long, My Best Friend's Whoa. Wedding with Julia Roberts, It Takes Two with Kirstie Alley, The Olsen Twins, and Goots again. He passed in 2018 at 88. R.I.P. King. This guy. Oh. Tripley's lawyer, Chauncey Zirkow, presents a motion to dismiss the case, calling J.J.'s statement untrustworthy since he was in the psych ward and sedated. Novak argues that J.J.'s in the hospital because of what Tripley did to him. Novak and Zirko go back and forth about JJ's reason for his hospital stay and the accusations made, but the judge agrees with Novak that Tripley's guilt is for a jury to decide. Mm. Zirko then presents a motion to dismiss JJ's statement to Huang, saying JJ made the statement under false pretenses. He thought he was talking to a psychiatrist, not a cop. And Novak, who is 
on the team goes, Dr. Huang is a psychiatrist. Zirko mm-hmm. argues that because Huang works for the FBI, the statement was given under false pretenses. The judge is going to look over that paperwork and have a ruling for them by next week. Mm-hmm. Novak then presents a motion, her own motion, telling the judge mm-hmm. that Tripoli made bail and is continuing to entertain children at his home. Like what? at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. The judge who was looking at the paperwork about fucking flips off his glasses because he throws his head up so <laughs> fast. He goes, what? Mr. Zirko? Mm-hmm. What in the Steve Gutenberg is she talking about? <laughs> what in the SG? We gotta start. <laughs> what in the Goots are you talking about? <laughs> That's gonna be a new thing. Write that down. What in the Goots? Oh, right in the Goots. <laughs> Zirko- <laughs> I've never felt more Goots in my entire life. <laughs> Who knows what that means? I Goots you. <laughs> never been Gootsed. <laughs> Oh, Goots 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Have a holly jolly Goots. <laughs> goots to the moon, Alice. <laughs> okay. Dino Stop Goots. Stop thinking. Okay. <laughs> Yabba dabba Goots. <laughs> All right. Stop thinking. Let's okay. Go. Okay. Okay. You have one more. Say it. I eat pieces of goots like you for breakfast. <laughs> you eat pieces of goots for breakfast? Gross. That guy's probably got his thumb up that dog's ass. <laughs> Hold on. Oh. Oh. Live, laugh, goots. Okay, let's go. <laughs> okay. Zirko says those are charitable functions that were scheduled before all of this happened. He didn't want to punish thousands of needy kids because of the bad behavior of one fucking Mm. Christ. The judge, whose eyes are absolutely bulging with concern by this, says, sure, okay, let's have his visits with kids under 16 restricted until this shit gets resolved. Jesus H. Midler. (laughs) Jesus H. Goots. (laughs) Now we're at Tripoli's house. He's having a big old party. He's dressed like a pirate. It's fucking weird. I thought for a minute when we first saw him that he was that guy from who's that comedian with the gap in his tooth that's um, always on those shows. Oh, I'm talking about. You thought he that was, was on him? the just for a second. And then I was like, that's not him. Like like Greg Geraldo. Is that his name? I don't know what his name is. He died. I mean, I I could mm-hmm. see him sort of maybe looking like Greg Geraldo, but Greg Geraldo. Mm-hmm. Oh, but then toward the end, I'm like, nobody can tell me that this is not Chris Kattan doing a mango impression. <laughs> yeah, not Greg Giraldo. The league. Was, Who's that guy in the league? I know what his name is. He's married to June Diane Rayfield. Fuck. I have no idea what that means. Uh, Paul Shear. Paul Shear. Yes. I thought he was him for a second with like hair. Interesting. I don't think he looks anything like him. Okay. Well, you're such a goots. <laughs> He's dressed like a pirate. Goots of you to join us. <laughs> Benson tells fucking Tripley that the neighbors called them because they found it fucking unsettling that so many fucking kids were coming in and out of the house. Mm-hmm. And Tripley's like, oh my God, one of my friends threw a party to show their support. There are adults present. 
Benson tells them to make sure there are no fucking sleepovers. And they start to leave. And Tripoli's like, I'd invite you to stay, but we only want positive energy here. Oh my God, so creepy. On their way out, a woman stops them. She says, you must be wrong about him. And the stapler's like, let me guess, he donated a buttload of money to your organization. She says she doesn't even belong to an organization and she just met him that day. So she had wrote him a letter to thank him for all the good things he's done for kids and shit. And he responded by inviting her and her granddaughter, April, to the party. April runs over. She has a scarf on her head or like a bandana and seems to be sick. She tells him she's having the best day of her life and she looks so familiar. Okay, I'm going to tell you a few things. Grandma, okay. <laughs> Are you? I'm going to, I don't know why I was wagging my finger about it because I'm not like mad, but grandma's fucking Cindy Williams. And I immediately, I'm like, she's got to have something to do with something the rest of the app because she is a right. big name. Shirley from Laverne and Shirley. Hello. Mm-hmm. Oh, American Graffiti, Steel Magnolias, Meet Wally Sparks. I loved that fucking movie. Oh, Rodney Dangerfield. She voiced a character on an episode of Shorty McShorts Shorts, which isn't anything that I know of, but I just love the name. (laughs) April, the girl, grows up to be in a bunch of shit. She played David Duchovny's daughter in Californication. She voiced Fiona. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. She voiced Fiona in Adventure Time, and she played Lucy the Singing Waitress in What We Do in the Shadows. Remember? No. It was the episode where Laszlo goes into hiding and takes over that bar as Jackie Daytona. Yeah. And he puts on like a talent show or whatever because of this singing waitress. That's her. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jackie did Hona. <laughs> I love I love that all he has to do is like take the toothpick out of their mouth and they're like <gasps> <laughs> yeah. Now we're at the precinct. Munch can't figure out why parents let their kids go to Tripoli's house knowing all the allegations about him. And Stabler's like, the parents can't tell he's a fucking freak. Toots and Benson agree that the parents keep getting a handout and they're like blinded by his generosity. Novak comes in fucking fists in a VHS tape saying that she <laughs> thinks Tripoli's been shoveling money at parents for a long time. She had another motion hearing and was given a fucking video of JJ redacting his statement. Mm. It's like a fucking terrorist uh, right. proof of life video or something like this yeah. poor kid is he's like i'm sorry i lied i'm sorry who everybody that i hurt i was angry i'm a liar whatever it was weird mm-hmm. so now we're at jj's parents house stabler beats on the door and shouts for them to open it or he'll fucking break it down again and they just got a new one <laughs> <laughs> they just got it <laughs> Benson Stabler questioned JJ's mom the second she opens the door. They ask her if Tripley got to them. Benson brings up the NDA and the possibility of the Ostelos having to pay back millions of dollars. She's like, oh my God, can you guys be quiet so the neighbors don't hear? Jesus. Stabler's like, well, we can be. Just let us come in and talk to JJ. Then fucking dad comes to the door and says that he's not here. He's getting over this mess in a place you'll never find him. And then the fucking slams the door in their faces and it gets locked. Ugh. Your child. You just like traded your child. I know. It's so gross. Let's go to this Benny Staves and Novak walk and talk. Staler says that nobody's seen JJ. He stopped attending school. Benson says there's no travel tickets showing on the Ostelos credit card. The Ostelos are saying that they sent their son on vacation. Mm-hmm. And Novak says, yeah, well, that's not a crime. Staler tells Novak, well, I looked it up and it's called hindering prosecution. I'm surprised you didn't know that. That is a crime. And Novak agrees because, duh, she already knew that. And she says that she may have to dismiss the case since she can't talk to JJ and prove that Tripley molested him. Mm-hmm. Would that be hearsay in a courtroom? Like, yeah. I don't know. Because they can't yeah. 
JJ would have to testify for that to even be admissible, yeah, right? Right. We know courtroom stuff. Yeah. Benny and Staves are hardcore on her to find a way to make it happen. Yeah. He's like, find it. I'm like, yeah. excuse? Do you know who you're fucking talking to? Excuse like, fuck me? Fuck off. That's me. But they can't just let a pedophile walk free. Yeah. Now Novak is out to dinner with Mary Clark, the former judge. <laughs> when we're having drinks, call me Mary. That Mary? <laughs> now when we're having dinner, call me Mary. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you like these mashed potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> They're so creamy. Mm. I'll have the steak medium. Uh. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> oh. Novak tells Mary she doesn't want to drop the charges and says Tripoli is guilty of a witness tampering. She knows he got close to the Ostelos and threatened to enforce the NDA. And Mary's like, girl, you got to be able to prove that. You got to be sure that JJ recanted under duress. Mm. Novak says JJ told Huang that he could identify a birthmark on Tripoli's penis. Mm. Novak is positive that he was molested. She says penis so hard that people from around the this like surrounding tables are like, Juh? Yeah, and Mary's like, she doesn't get out. That was an actual like part of the scene. Yeah, relax, y'all. Mind your business and eat your penises. Like, relax. <laughs> yeah. What in the fucking goots are you looking at, you pieces of shit? <laughs> eat, your, eat your steaks medium and get on with your life. <laughs> eat your medium steaks. <laughs> Oh, Novak's just super frustrated because she knows, based on JJ's original statement, that Tripoli molested him. Mm. Clark brings up the Eighth Amendment right Tripoli has to face his accuser. And Novak argues that they can't allow rich people to buy their way around justice with NDAs. Mm -hmm. Clark points out that, hey, you got a loophole here. The NDA may be the key to the case. If there's a mention of the child in the NDA, it can be deemed void since a minor can't enter into a binding contract. Mm -hmm. The parents can. So that begs the question, were the parents acting in JJ's best interest? JJ needs his own fucking lawyer and mm. mary knows who that lawyer should be and i'm like who you when we're having drinks call me mary i never let my license to practice law lapse uh. <laughs> <laughs> So now we're standing before a judge. Novak requests that JJ be given a guardian ad litem, which is a person appointed by the court to protect the interests of a minor, but mm. only in regards to legal stuff. Trevor Langan, who is representing the dad, is all like, but judge, I'm their lawyer. <laughs> Novak tells him to zip it. Being the family attorney is representing the parents, not mm -hmm. JJ. Mr. Mm -hmm. Ostelo says that everything he's done was in JJ's best interest. <laughs> That is a pile of fucking bullshit. Okay. No shit. Novak asks, um, hey, are you referring to the NDA? So then Trevor and Ostelo are like, he can't answer any questions about the NDA. It would violate mm -hmm. the NDA. Novak tells the judge that this proves exactly what she's getting at. The court needs to step in for JJ's sake. The judge mm -hmm. agrees and says that they'll appoint someone. Mary Clark, who's just fucking waiting to jump in the gallery. She has like 17 zippers on her dress. Did you see that? <laughs> No. <laughs> oh my God, there's so many zippers. She's like, I'm available, Your Honor. Oh, he likes that. Well, if it isn't when we're having drinks, call me Mary. We made out at a Christmas party once. <laughs> yeah. Uh. He like took his glass. He's like, Mary? I was like, Mary, oh is that God. you? Well. Langan cartoonishly yanks at his collar. Sweat drops, sweat drops, sweat drops. Ack. What kind of backroom <laughs> deal is this? Ack. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the judge says the court would be honored to have Mary represent JJ. Oh. They totally made out. <laughs> oh, hard. She goes, thank you, Joe. Huh. <laughs> okay, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> Mary steps up ready to fucking go. She mm -hmm. questions the motives behind the NDA and why JJ made a statement that he recanted. Uh -huh. I'm going to need to see that shit. She gets she's in dad's like face. leaning on the table. Yeah, I was going to say, she's just like leaning in. Yeah, hard. She gets in dad's face and this is where I'm like, he looks like the dad from The Incredibles. This is what I noticed this, the most butthole mouth Oh my God, ever. that must, yeah. The dad from The Incredibles has to basically be made of a butthole mouth then because <laughs> if we saw that at the same time. Yeah. Mary wants to talk to JJ herself dad's fighting it like absolutely not you guys have fucked with his head enough so mary goes fine george i'd love it if when we have drinks you call me mary and a material <laughs> witness order to produce jj uh. Uh. <laughs> she's dancing on the line here but the judge meets her halfway and she has a fucking smile on her face the whole time she is just loving this loving it she is dancing on the line here but the judge meets her halfway he wants to see jj to talk to him alone before he makes any kind of decision personally i don't love the idea of a child who's been traumatized by an adult man be alone in a room with one but fuck my drag i guess because i don't know shit right. but that's and, what i thought having too. a parent in the room would would make it weird and i don't know maybe like have him in an interrogation room at the precinct or something with two-way glass i don't know i thought the same thing too and i thought that when wong was talking to him too because wong like went over and sat by him and i'm like don't <gasps> I know. No. I think that whenever they're talking to a victim at all, you're not going to make him more comfortable by being an adult man sitting close to him because he's been betrayed by them. So yeah. I don't know. Mr. Ostolo protests, but is threatened with contempt of court if he doesn't comply. In the precinct, Novak and Mary update Benson and Stabler. Fucking JJ's dad actually went to jail for contempt. He claims he's protecting his son. Mary says dad is actually protecting his money. If JJ testifies, he'll lose all that fucking money. And Stabler says that that gives JJ's dad incentive to sit tight in jail. And then Mary says she'll keep his bitch ass in jail until JJ is 21 if she has to. Oh, she's oh. such a bitch. Stabler says, quote, they didn't call you the hang and judge for nothing. And Mary says, who, what, who called me that? <laughs> Stabler's like, um, <laughs> no one. <laughs> that was funny. I was like, Novak wants to find JJ themselves, but Stabler says they're doing the best they can. So far, there's no info yet on where JJ is. Mary says that she has a fucking ton of private investigators on retainer in her rich-ass law firm, and they're at their disposal. Mary's such a fucking bad bitch. I love her. And then I said, when we're having drinks, call me Mayor. Hey! Oh, <laughs> <was> stupid. <laughs> I liked it. Okay, thanks. And I like you. <laughs> and I like you too. <laughs> Later, Munch rolls in with the newspaper. Tripley's fucking PR team is calling JJ a pathological liar. He's fucking 12, dudes. Ugh. Then a man comes in to speak to Benson. Just imagine his face if you can. Okay. He looks like a perfect cross between Dustin Hoffman and Alan Cumming. And even his voice is a perfect matchup of the two. Hang on. Do you have a picture of his face? His voice was like oh my God. a mashup of that, their voices too. It was wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to go back because you have to hear his voice because I was like, What? He's a therapist that helps terminally ill patients prepare for death. I have a hard time saying terminally. Mm. That morning, he met with a nine-year-old girl that has... Met his job, not at your struggle to say the word. <laughs> yeah. That morning, he met with a nine-year-old girl that has leukemia, and he thinks she was molested by Tripoli. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's that lady at the birthday party with the granddaughter. Shlemiel. Shlemazel. 
Yeah. Um, I forget. <laughs> Just don't say anything. <laughs> something, something incorporated. I forget. Haas and Pfeffer incorporated. We're going to do it. I only know that from Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. In the apartment of Nora Hodges, the woman that stopped Benson's stable at the party, it's her. And she's crying, saying it's her fault. She's super, super upset. She says, I don't know how I could have been so stupid. Stabler says, you got me. And I was like, holy shit. She went back to Tripley's for another party since the last time they saw her. One for just sick kids. Benson asks where her granddaughter's parents are. And she says she doesn't know. There never was a father. And her daughter got mixed up in drugs and abandoned April right after she was born. They want to go talk to April. But she had chemo this morning and was sick all day and fell asleep about an hour ago. So she's in maintenance. In the precinct, April and her grandma are interviewed by Benson. Benny brings April a little juice box. And April's like, I don't know if I can keep it down. But grandma asked her to try a little bit because she doesn't want her to get dehydrated again. And I'm like, oh, my God. April says that there were lots of kids at the party. They played games. April got tired and Tripley told her she could take a nap. Kids take naps at his house all the time. Tripley took her to a place for, quote, special kids, the treasure room. He told her that if she was good, she could pick something out of the treasure chest. Her grandma jumps in all pissed and adds that there were pajamas for April and that Tripley took her clothes off. Then April's nose starts to bleed, so they stop. Aww. On the other side of the glass, in Cragen's Patient Zero lab, he's getting a little too comfortable with an ape named Dennis he's been experimenting on. Dennis gets frustrated, knocking <laughs> over a bunch of dangerous vials of different viruses. Why are they all next to each other? The vials shatter and the insides mix, creating a super virus that causes Dennis and Craig to switch brains and grow pastrami sandwich hands. It's only a matter of time before it spreads. <laughs> Pastrami sandwich. Oh my god, I want a pastrami sandwich doll. <laughs> Huang Novak and Craigan are behind the glass, actually, talking about what happened to April. Oh, they are? It's not, it's not the monkey and sandwich hands? <laughs> it's, it's not that? It's not the vials? <laughs> Huang says that children with disabilities are two times as likely to be sexually abused. I'm like, oh. is that for fucking real? It's gotta be. Novak says cowards always target the weakest prey. Oof. Mm. Novak wonders how many others there are. He's been around so many kids with disabilities. Craig mm-hmm. surprised this Vic is a girl and TBH, so was I. But Huang says that sexually indiscriminate pedophiles aren't uncommon because all of the victims have their prepubescence in common. Mm-hmm. So that's- He said that there's not a lot of anatomical differences. And I was like, well, I mean, there kind of is. They're uh, just hairless, you know? It's, it de- yeah, it depends on... Yeah. I don't know. I I'm, don't make me go into the brain of one of these people. Mm-hmm. Craigan says Tripley lives like a kid and Juan calls it Peter Pan syndrome to the extreme. Oh, gross. I fucking hate it. Dude, we've had like five episodes with kid shit. I can't fucking do it anymore. There's not. N- the it. next one's not. Mm. Let's go see what Corner Warner's up to. She plucks a hair from Tripley's head as he's fucking bitching about it. Uh, that really hurts. Uh, are you going to pull out every hair on my head? And this is where I said he looks like fucking Mango from SNL. Yeah, he does. <laughs> You're right. You're right on with that. She tells him that she needs 10 hairs with the roots attached. And this fucking bitch calls it police brutality. And Stabler's standing in the background and he goes, uh, you'll know if you get brutalized. Mm-hmm. I'll give you something to cry about. Same energy. Right. Tripoli goes, that's a threat. And asks Corner Warner if she heard it. And she goes, nope, I got to swab you. And if you bite me, I'll hurt you. Mm-hmm. Stabler tells him if he doesn't like pain, he shouldn't molest nine-year-olds. Tripley denies molesting April and says he can't bring himself to go back in the treasure room because the police desecrated it. Ew. What the fuck? 
Corner Warner tells him to lower his pants and underwear for a pubic hair sample. And Tripoli tells them that he doesn't have any pubic hair because he had laser hair removal. And then he pulls his pants down to show them. And Stabler takes a big, huge James Cameron underwater camera photo of (laughs) Tripoli's genitals. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he just like is standing off to the side and Tripoli drops his pants. And the camera is in his hand already. comes out of nowhere and he just just clicks it as if he's it just didn't seem very precise (laughs) yeah in the precinct benny and staves are chatting about the new details the photo of tripley's genitals is examined and the birthmark is where jj said it was Mm. benson has an update on jj's whereabouts a pi that mary clark offered them may have picked up his trail in maine Mm. novak comes in you see tripley's bombshell and staves goes more like a firecracker (laughs) oh dick jokes staves got dick jokes (laughs) Tripley's team had April and her grandma followed to a department store where they were caught shoplifting. It's in the papers, Mm. which is obviously to tarnish their credibility. Later, Nora, the grandma, is brought in for questioning. She says she had to steal. April needed clothes, but they don't have any money because of all the medical bills. And Nora can't work because April's so sick. They tell her that her fuck up could cost April the case. Grandma begs for them to get her granddaughter justice. Mm. Craigan and Novak watch from behind the glass. And even though grandma made things messy, Craigan still feels really good about April being a sympathetic witness. Novak still wants JJ as a witness, though, to make it a sure thing. Mr. Ostelo is still in jail, maintaining his silence. And Novak finds out that JJ's possibly being held in Maine. And one of Tripley's head hairs was found in April's underwear. It was only preliminary testing, though, so I'm sure we'll get some new information. Mm-hmm. Benny and Stabes meet with Corner Warner. Corner Warner drew blood to check for STDs in April's rape kit. April's blood work came back normal with no signs of leukemia. What the fuck? What? It's possible that she's in remission, but this kid should have holes in her pelvic bone from a biopsy done by the oncologist. The holes aren't going to close up. Mm-hmm. Corner Warner did take a pelvic x-ray, shows it to the detectives, and there are no holes. She didn't have the bone marrow biopsy. She never had cancer. Oh, my God. Now we're in the hospital. Benson and Stabler are talking to a doctor and getting some updates on April's health. The doctor tells Benson and Stabler that it was good that they brought April in when they did because in another few weeks she would have been dead from fucking mercury poisoning. Oh, fucking Munchausen by proxy. Mm -hmm. Nora was poisoning April with mercury for a year by telling April it was cancer treatments that they were given at home because they couldn't afford a doctor. She wasn't going anywhere, but Mm -hmm. April had to keep it a secret. Mercury poisoning (sighs) and leukemia have similar side effects. Both inhibit cell growth, cause nausea, hair loss, weight loss. Mm -hmm. Jesus fucking Christ, this little girl like believed she was dying. And then I thought, oh my God, this is a a mashup between Michael Jackson and then remember that one lady? Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Rose. It's like a mashup of that. There is an episode about Dee Dee Mm. and Gypsy Rose. Mm. So... Well, Patricia Arquette is amazing, by the way. I just love her. So April's going to live, but Mercury weakens the bones a lot. She'll probably have fucking permanent damage. I can't believe this shit. Like, this is crazy. Okay. It is. It's wild. In April's room, Stabler... I did not see that coming. Like, the Munchausen Mm -hmm. part, you know? Right. Right. I knew something was going to happen with Nora. I just didn't. I thought maybe she was going to get molested and that was part of it. I don't know. In April's room, Stabler tells April that she's going to be feeling better soon. April knows that her grandma lied to her and made her sick. Ugh. Stabler tells her that her grandma lied about the leukemia and asks if she lied about anything else. Then April says that her grandma made her lie about Tripoli. Nora told her to make friends with him. She was like trying to get her molested. 
Mm-hmm. April says she did take a nap there, but it was on the couch. And then Benson's like, well, you sure do know a lot of details about what happened. And April says she knew what to say because her grandma had cut out all the newspaper clippings about JJ, made a fucking scrapbook and quizzed her every day. Her grandma told her it was her only chance for them to get money or she would die. This poor little girl. I know. Like she was doing this to fight for her life. Mm-hmm. Mm. Benson tells her she's not going to die. Then little baby April says, Gran said she loved me, but how could she make me sick if she loved me? And Benson doesn't have a fucking answer because Jesus Christ. Yeah. Benson's going to need a single small tomato and a half beer after this because this is too much. Line him up. (sighs) Slap him up. (laughs) Now we're in Rikers Island. Novak speaks with Nora and her lawyer, Cleo Conrad. Nora is all like, oh my God, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I love her. I love April. And then her lawyer is like, it's called Munchausen by proxy. Novak wants to talk about the Tripoli scam. And Nora said it was April's lie, not hers. Wow. And, and she believed it. She's so fucking full of shit. And then Novak has this look on her face like, you dumb bitch. We have your fucking scrapbook. And also like, you're throwing a child under the bus that you were making sick. Like, you're fucked yeah. up. The music gets all swelly and then fucking Nora changes her fuck the tone of her voice. She's like, yeah, well, he's a fucking pedophile and he deserved it. <sighs> Novak laughs and tells Nora to fill in the blanks in the story so she can avoid fraud charges. She's like, fucking tell me everything you know. Novak tells Nora that the crime lab found a hair in April's underwear. Nora says she got it from the hairbrush at the party and she planted the hair when the crime lab asked for April's clothes. Novak says, do you know how much fucking damage you've caused? And Nora says... But you agree with me, he deserved it. Novak says, he deserves to go to jail. Now, thanks to you, Tripoli can claim he's a victim of false allegations every time a legitimate one comes up in the future. Novak's yelling at this point, right? Nora Mm -hmm. says, she's sorry. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Novak's like, I don't fucking believe you. And you'll have a long time in prison to think about what you did. Nora's lawyer is like, whoa, 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 we made a deal. You know, Nora filling in the blanks. And then Novak clarifies, Nora isn't getting charged with fraud on the Tripoli shit, but she is getting charged with fraud with the cancer scam. Mm. Nora's like, oh my God, I'm sick, right? She said I'm sick. Munchausen. And then Novak says, well, this whole Munchausen scam almost killed April and you conned people out of $60,000, like gifts and fucking whatever. Mm-hmm. Nora's like, please, please think of April. There's no one else to look after her. Novak turns around and she's like, you have to be fucking kidding me. What you were doing nearly killed her. You're getting charged with fraud and attempted murder. And Nora's like, I'm sick. Oh. And Novak's like, no jury is that stupid. They'll see it wasn't Munchausen. It was just pure, unadulterated greed. Oh my God. So now we're in the precinct. Mary Clark has updates for the gang. JJ was found with an uncle in Maine. They went to Canada. Clark doesn't have the authority to bring him back. And then Munch calls Tripoli a fucking Teflon pedophile. Mary says she's keeping JJ's dad in jail if he does not produce his son. So he's just going to be there forever. Yep. Craig says, you're not going to believe this. Turns on the TV. Tripoli is having a party with a ton of kids. He claims to have been vindicated, but says, quote, the real winners are the children. Stabler's like, he's going to give us a lot more chances to get him. That's the fucking end of the episode. (sighs) Toyota, man. Toyota. Okay, guys, I looked up all these different things to line up with this episode and nothing felt good doing it. Of course, it didn't feel good. It's an awful fucking story, awful fucking crimes that would line up with this. But this is the story of Wade Robson and Michael Jackson. This is, yeah. Not just Wade Robson, but he was one of the many children that 
mm-hmm. Michael Jackson abused that I 100% believe, okay? Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do this time is something we've never done. We are going to replay The Chaser from season one, episode 21. It's so spot on. Like, it's like... It's too close. It's too, it's yeah, too close. I, yeah, you mm-hmm. can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's worth another listen, especially when it is carbon copied into this episode. Yeah. The recanting, the uh, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Him being protected by, yeah, just insane. Roll that beautiful paint footage. <laughs> Show. Oh, fuck. So I do have a little aside. If you're an MJ apologist, we have nothing to talk about. I don't care to hear from you. I don't need your comments. I don't, you don't know him personally. If you're on the fence, watch the documentary Leaving Neverland. It's my biggest resource for this chaser because it dives deep into the grooming and abuse that two survivors of abuse by Michael Jackson experienced. For this chaser, I'm going to focus on one person's experience, Wade Robson, and the grooming he experienced, his family experienced, and the way in which the entire world has been groomed by the King of Pop. I don't want to take away from the other survivor in the documentary, James Safechuck, because it's also based on him and his experience or any of the other boys who came forward to only be shut down and not believed. But we could start a whole nother podcast if we wanted to deep dive into all of it. Like there is endless info on Michael Jackson and all of his shit. So I'm going to I'm going to start it with a quote from Wade. He was one of the kindest, most gentle, most loving, caring people I knew. He helped me tremendously with my career. He helped me with my creativity, all those sorts of things. And he also sexually abused me for seven years. Wade Robson discovered Michael Jackson in the Thriller video when he was a five-year-old boy living in Australia. He quickly became absolutely obsessed with the dancing and with Michael. It just so happened that a short while into his obsession, Michael was on tour in Australia for the Bad Album. So there was this dance competition at a local mall and first prize was meeting Michael fucking Jackson. Can you even imagine that? That for, They would never do anything like that anymore. I mean, can you imagine just being like a kid and like, yeah, they would never do that anymore. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, local mall, we're having a dance competition and you're going to meet the biggest Michael star in the Jackson, world. Yeah. yeah. There aren't even celebrities like that anymore. No. Wade was only five, so he was too young to compete, but they let him dance as a special guest. But everybody lost their shit for this tiny kid and he won first prize anyway. Oh, he wasn't even in the, he was too young? Yeah. It, the the oh. competition started at seven. It was like for like seven to 10 year olds or whatever. Hmm. Hmm. I know. Ugh. We just communicated so much. I know. He won first prize anyway. He got to meet his idol at the concert, danced with him on stage, and then Wade and his mom hung out with him at his hotel for like two hours. And so he kind of ended this magical experience with Michael telling them to reach out to him if they ever came to the United States. Mm -hmm. And that would be the end of it for most people. Yeah. Little Wade's passion for dance and for Michael continued as he joined a dance company, basically as a mini Michael. He performed with his dance company all over Australia. In 1990, his dance team was going to Disneyland in California to do some big performance. Wade's mom somehow got in touch with Michael's assistant on that trip. So pretty soon, seven-year-old Wade, his mom, and his 10-year-old sister, Chantal, were hanging out with Michael Jackson at the Neverland Ranch. People have described Neverland Ranch as a magical place, like being on another amazing planet. It had a petting zoo, amusement park, movie theater, trains and shit, arcades, like really everything a kid would want or could think of was just there at the ranch. Yeah. And because Michael Jackson grew up in the spotlight, it was well known that he made claims of feeling like he missed out on childhood. So the term Peter Pan syndrome was used in reference to him a lot. Yeah. Like usually to explain his behaviors. Things like one of his assistants had reported that Goodnight Moon was one of his favorite stories to be read when he was going to sleep Mm -hmm. as an adult man. That's so weird because I liked being read to, but it was like the bell jar. And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) 
This also is used to explain his many close friendships with very young boys. So many people that knew him and that met him said he was just like a child. Um, And I could see how this could happen when I was a kid. When I was like 10, I had a friend. Have I told you about her? I don't know. I had a friend that lived at the Seventh-day Adventist ranch down the road from my parents' house. And she was probably like 40, but she had... but. It was like hanging out with a 10-year-old. And she was like my best friend. But I I was in denial that she was an adult. Even though I knew it, I would never say it. And She my, had like mental yeah. disabilities. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if so, like something, if she had trauma that like kept her there. I don't know. I don't know anything about her adult life. I remember she had like a swing in her bedroom and we would ride horses together and we would do crafts together. And she was basically like Laura Ingalls sort of vibes. Mm -hmm. And I was down with it because I loved that shit when I was like 10. Yeah. And we were super good friends for a long time. Like I I can see how... Did she live by herself or with her parents? No, she lived, she lived with a couple. They weren't her parents, but she called them mom and dad. But they were older, like an older couple. But she had like a little girl's room and she was, she was like a child. Weird. Yeah, I, I, all I know was that like she was. Why'd you guys stop hanging out? Just I, like, I aged out of her age bracket. Yeah, you know, like I, I, st- I was like twelve, thirteen. I mean, she stayed the same, and I yeah. turned into a teenager. Right. You know, but like I always like what loved her and cared about her, and so anyway, yeah, I can see how a how you could have a relationship like that and have it not be weird because like nothing ever weird happened. My brothers just made fun of me for hanging out with her and not admitting that she was an adult and called her Big Nan. <laughs> Why? Because they were dicks. Was her name Nan? Nancy. Oh, Big Nan. They'd be like, you go hang out with Big Nan. And they're like, how old is she? I'm like, she's 10. And they're like, no, she's not, dude. <laughs> Um, Okay, so people that knew him said he was just like a child. And I'm certain this is why so many people felt safe to leave their kids unsupervised with him, including Wade's mom. So four hours into them hanging out at the Neverland Ranch, Wade and his sister were spending the night with Jackson in his room while their mom stayed in the guest quarters. Wade and his sister both described the night as super innocent. They're watching movies, pillow fights, playing, falling asleep. And it wasn't just Wade who felt super close to him right away. His sister and his mom also were like building this bond with him. On the second night, seven-year-old Wade woke up to Michael sobbing that he was so lonely and he didn't want them to leave. Well, all that's easily explainable. Like, he's an isolated person. He's got this persona that he is this innocent, childlike person, although an adult. And then on top of it, he's extremely isolated and alone. Yeah, everybody, I I think, was like, oh, this guy has been in the spotlight since he was like five. He just wants a normal life and normal friends and stuff. So when Wade wakes up and he finds Michael sobbing, he felt terrible for him, but also he's seven years old. So he's really scared at the same time. Wade told Oprah in an interview as an adult that he was scared that Michael was going to turn into the werewolf from the thriller video. Like that's how this little kid's brain was processing what this adult was doing. You know? Yeah. The next day, the family was supposed to RV it to the Grand Canyon, but Wade wanted to stay with Michael. The whole family left and let him stay with Michael Jackson for five days. That's crazy. Yeah. It was during that time that Michael started conditioning Wade to be molested. Not only was he physically doing things to Wade and having Wade do things to him. How old was he then? Seven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See how Michael Jackson was like, oh, yeah, if he didn't care until he was between that auditioning age of seven and ten he was auditioning for children to be molested yeah okay 
okay, so not only was he physically doing things to Wade and having Wade do things to him, which I can't go into specifics about. It's in the documentary if you really want to see it or hear about it. It's just too much. He was making it seem normal. He told Wade, quote, you and I were brought together by God and we were meant to be together. This is how we show each other we love each other. He was also talking to Wade about not trusting people, especially women. And he started calling Wade son. So there are key things that an abuser does to groom a child. One, they teach you that you're safe. Two, they teach you that you're special. And three, they slowly introduce physical touch, starting with like roughhousing and then working into more intimate touch. When Wade's family came back, instead of traveling on together, they split up. Wade, his sister, and their mom went back to LA with Michael while the rest of the family continued their trip in America. The sexual stuff happened every night while Wade's mom and sister slept in the other room and Wade slept in Michael's. Now, even though Wade thought all of this was okay, he knew not to say anything. Michael told Wade they'd never see each other again if anyone found out what they were doing and that they'd both go to jail for the rest of their lives. He included him in the blame to keep Wade quiet. When Wade went back to Australia, he spent hours on the phone every day for two years with Michael Jackson, six to seven hours at a time, constant faxes and phone conversations. All this time, Wade's mom was developing a separate relationship. Like Michael would just call the house to talk to Wade's mom too, because he's grooming the whole family. Something Wade said in an interview was that Michael had groomed them before he had even met them. Like people thought that they knew him already from watching his persona as he grew up and with the Jackson 5 and on TV. And then in meeting him, he fulfills this fantasy of what people have in their head and continues to develop special relationships with each family member. So how were the rest of us being groomed by Michael Jackson? His charitable donations throughout his life were in the multi-millions. There was the Michael Jackson Burn Center for Children, the Michael Jackson United Negro College Fund Endowed Scholarship Fund. He donated the proceeds from the sales of The Man in the Mirror to Camp Ronald McDonald for Good Times, a camp for children who suffer from cancer. He wrote We Are the World with Lionel Richie in 1985 and performed it with a bizarre grouping of celebrities. Remember that? Yeah, I do. But they raised a bunch of money for Africa. Yeah. Jackson donated tickets to shows during his 1989 bad tour to underprivileged children. The proceeds from one of his shows in L.A. were donated to Child Help USA, the biggest charity organization against child abuse. Hmm. Then Child Help of Southern California started the Michael Jackson International Institute of Research on Child Abuse. In 1992, he established the Heal the World Foundation, whose work has included airlifting six tons of supplies to Sarajevo, instituting drug and alcohol abuse education, and donating millions of dollars to less fortunate children. Mm. That's the abridged version of his philanthropy. How can someone be both of these people? They hide in plain sight. Like these things coexist. And that was the biggest issue is that people are like, you're so good, you can't be bad. Yeah, just like the guy from the episode, like he did so much for the community, people just couldn't wrap their minds around him doing bad things to their children. Even after it came into question coming up here, it like it didn't really come into question until 93. Like people thought he was kind of was odd. Kind of weird dude, but they're like, well, he's been in the spotlight. Lot of, yeah. yeah, there's there's an excuse for every behavior. So we're all conditioned to have to see him in this light, too. Mm-hmm. Like he has to have an insane PR team. Yeah. Wade went back to the U.S. to work on the L.A. gear campaign with Michael for six weeks. Like after he had gone back to Australia, after this big trip, after he was first molested by Michael Jackson, he went back later that year. His mom was all about going. She was just mesmerized by the fact that it was Michael fucking Jackson. Right. He made everyone feel special. Wade described the sexual contact being something he almost looked forward to. He said he had anticipated it because it was so intertwined with the rest of the relationship, Mm -hmm. which was so good. Yeah. And loving and kind and supportive and all of these things that you want. And the fact that 
the whole time Michael's telling him, we can't get caught for this because we'll get in trouble. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not. Th- like we're in this together. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing this to to him. Because I kept going, maybe he was really like not realizing how much he was hurting him. And, you know, he really did love kids and all that stuff. No, he was really fucked up, but he knew that he was doing something wrong. Yeah. So during the six weeks that they were doing this L.A. gear thing. It's it's like that Nambla bullshit. Like, yeah. oh, we man love boy. And you're like, no. Right. So then during this time, Michael started showing Wade porn. And he wasn't as into that. But he could tell that Michael liked it. He felt like he wanted to participate in it just because Michael liked it. But he didn't think it was as fun as like the way everything else was. Like the people pleasing part of it. Of yeah. Being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So as this six weeks is wrapping up, Michael asks Wade's mom if she'll leave Wade with him for a year. Mm-hmm. Her seven-year-old son. And Wade was like, fuck yeah. Like, I love him. Yeah. And I want to be with him all the time. He was infatuated with him. Yeah. And Michael threw the sales pitch of Wade's career at his mom. And like, he's going to do all this stuff to help him and mentor him and blah, blah, blah. And he was doing these things. Yeah. And Wade's mom's hopefully like, no. She's like, no, I'm going to take him home to the other side of the world with me. And like, we can still have a relationship or whatever. At the end of this, like hours long conversation, Michael's like, I always get what I want. Hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening yeah. So ultimately she she landed on no, but Michael did convince her to stay another week with her son. So not long after they went back to Australia, Wade's mom and Michael started setting up for them to move. Wade's mom was going to leave his dad and take Wade and Chantal, his sister, to the United States for the betterment of Wade's career. He could only get so far in Australia, so he's going to go to the U.S., get some help from Michael, and make it big. At this time, you know, Wade's seven years old. He really believes that life in the U.S. would be like living with Michael, being with him all the time, and he was looking forward to that. But then they got there, and the red carpet wasn't rolled out like it had always been. Not only that, Michael wasn't showering Wade with time and attention that Wade had gotten used to. And then Wade learned why. Macaulay Culkin. Ooh, how old was Macaulay Culkin when Home Alone came out? He was our age. Eight? Was he was our age. Yeah. yeah, when he came out. He was the new best friend, right-hand kid, right by Michael's side. Wade was hurt and confused and jealous and was feeling all of these, like, relationshipy feelings. But also, Michael had kind of taken the place of his dad. Mm-hmm. So he had all of these attachment issues going on in feeling replaced. So his first year in L.A., Wade only saw Michael, like, four or five times. And every time he saw him, sexual stuff would happen, and it would feel comforting to Wade because he was fully in love with Michael at this time and it was just like okay i am special i am because that's what michael does to show his love yeah he felt like he was competing for michael's attention which is so fucking crazy he said that every 12 months there was a new boy in michael's life we're watching this is all happening in the public eye mm-hmm. like these kids so wade's working hard on his dance career but he's always thinking about impressing michael with his dance with the things he's accomplishing everything wade remembers sleepovers with michael macaulay jordy chandler and himself at this time jordy had become michael's number one Something that really creeped me out that I read that Michael had said to an adult of like one of the kids in his life was, why don't you trust me? If we're a family, you've got to think of me as a brother. Why make me feel so bad? This is a bond. It's not about sex. This is something special. So it's 1993. Jordy Chandler, along with three other unnamed boys 
accuse MJ of sexual abuse, Jordy being the main defendant. Jordy's dad, Evan, became suspicious at one point and got it out of Jordy that he was being molested by Michael Jackson. Wade's mom was kind of shook by this, and so she talked to Michael about it. She said he was so convincing and said, I would never hurt a child. And why wouldn't they believe him? The whole family was conditioned to believe Michael was a gentle, kind, generous, childlike person. So all of this grooming came full circle. Wade was told by Michael since he was seven that they'd both go to jail for the rest of their lives. He was scared that he would get in trouble, and Wade flat out denied it to his mom the police, everybody. And he felt like he needed to protect Michael. All of a sudden, Michael was calling Wade all the time again, getting him on his good side, coaching him. Wade was ready to defend Michael over anything. In regards to this trial, Wade said, I was excited by the idea of being able to defend him and being able to save him. And he did. He hard defended him. This ended up getting settled out of court for $23 million. So the narrative ended up being it was money and fame and everything. That's all they wanted. Mm -hmm. It ended up not being able to go to trial because Jordy refused to testify against Michael. But here's a kid the world has turned against because the he's whole a, entire world has been groomed. He's a fucking child. Yeah. Yes. It's already hard enough for kids that aren't in the spotlight. You right. know what I mean? I and you're going even. up against Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson's lawyers, his PR team. He's a beloved public figure. He has set himself up to be in a position of protection, you yeah. know? So if Jordy wouldn't testify, they couldn't bring criminal charges against Michael, but they were able to settle out of court, out of civil court. So even with Jordy's detailed descriptions of things, everything had to be thrown out. I mean, there was testimony from Jordy of detailed descriptions of, like Michael Jackson had to get strip search, okay? Like just to give you an idea of- I remember that. The like, kind of detail, yeah. Yeah. And everybody felt bad for Michael because he was so innocent and having to go through through that, but it's because Jordy had given the police a detailed description of Michael Jackson's penis. Yeah. Jordy disappeared after that. He doesn't speak publicly and his dad, Evan, died by suicide three months after Jackson died. So this was a real testament to Wade's choice. Look at what happened to Jordy for saying something and mm -hmm. look at how pleased Michael was with Wade. Yeah. Wade felt like he and Michael were back together. Mm -hmm. So now it's 1994. Michael marries Lisa Marie Presley and we all knew that was bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. That was fucking gross. It was, remember, when it was, they came out like a year later on some award show and he's like, they thought it wouldn't last. And they <laughs> weird made kiss. out for the first time, obviously. It was fucking so awkward and weird. Even like, what was I, like 10? It was 94, so we were 12. Yeah. Even I was like, <laughs> Like what? <laughs> By this time, Wade was 14. He was crushing his dance career, doing choreography and shit. This was also Wade's account of his last sexual interaction with Michael. It was painful for Wade to hear the details. Again, watch Leaving Neverland. I'm not talking about it. Like, I just can't do it. But that was the last time that they were... That he was molested by Michael Jackson. The last time that he was molested by Michael Jackson. He was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the early aughts. Wade was fucking directing in sync. He was the creative director for Britney Spears. People knew him outside of Michael. Like, Wade was his own public figure at this point. Yeah. And and this is also when he met his future wife, Amanda. So he gets married, all this. 2003, mm -hmm. in the documentary Living with Michael Jackson, there's a moment where Michael is cradling a young teen boy and talking to the film's director. And he says, my greatest inspiration comes from kids. I'm not doing a Michael Jackson voice because it's too serious of a subject matter, but just imagine the Michael Jackson voice. Mm -hmm. Lisa, it's your birthday. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So he says, my greatest inspiration comes from kids. It's all inspired from that level of innocence, that consciousness of purity. It's so fucking creepy to hear anything that he has to say mm -hmm. in hindsight. 
So again, 2003, Michael Jackson's under arrest again. Gavin Arvizo, the that kid that he was cradling in that movie, mm-hmm. um, had accused Michael of sexual abuse. Jackson was indicted on four counts of molesting a minor, four counts of intoxicating a minor to molest him. There's accounts from Wade as well that said that like Michael got them drunk and shit. One count of attempted child molestation, one count of conspiring to hold the boy and his family captive and conspiring to commit extortion and child abduction. There is so much detail that goes along with that, but it tracks Mm -hmm. with Wade's shit. Mm -hmm. But again, like we can't be here for nine hours. Wade's mom fully believed Michael. I mean, well, no, I mean, this is the thing when when people in my mind, I'm like, how could a parent ever? But it's like these people do this stuff and they know how to do it so well. They're literally like, it's not about being a good parent or a bad parent. It's just you were a victim. Yeah. You know, it's fucking fucked up. And then you feel bad for the parents later. They're like, oh my God, how could I not see this? And it's like, because you were fucking fucked with. Yeah. You know, and this dude had like a ton of money and a ton of like was giving. He just seemed it's just it's not their fault. It's just I read this thing again. Like I can't go on a million branch offs of everything. But remember when Latoya came out and said that she knew that Michael was abusing kids? Mm -mm. Okay, it was um, I don't remember if it was Jordy's trial or if it was Gavin's trial. But she had said that she knew he was abusing kids and she knew and her mom knew and she had seen like big ass checks being written to families like paying kids off, paying people off. So it was this whole big thing and she was estranged from the family. And then like she recanted years later and said that her ex-husband had made her say all that stuff. But I don't know, man, like it lined, uh, I don't know, it lined up with a lot of shit. Okay, so same as before, Michael started reaching out to Wade every day after he was arrested. It was like he picked right up where he left off with the Jordy Chandler case. Wade told Michael he didn't want to testify, and he still deeply loved Michael. He just didn't want to be involved. But the decades prior grooming triggered Wade's deepest implanted fears. Mm -hmm. This is what Michael said to him when he's trying to get him to testify. I know it's hard. We can't let them do this to us. We can't let them take us down. Right. Macaulay Culkin, same thing. He testified on Michael Jackson's behalf. And he still to this day has said nothing has happened to him. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine what his life would be if he said that it did? Right. Because there were people that said that they saw things happen. People like staff and everything from Neverland and whatever, that they saw things or walked in on things with Macaulay specifically. Yeah. It's his stuff. I don't know. Right. You don't know, you know. So a billion people testified at this. There was like a housekeeper that said she had seen Wade showering with Michael. All these different accounts during this trial, people came to the stand to say the things that they had seen there. But if the person that they're talking about says it didn't happen, the witness accounts go out the window. So this cleaning lady is like, yeah, I saw Michael Jackson showering with Wade Robson. And then Wade's on the stand going, that never happened. Right. Then they're going to go, okay. Wade had decided he was taking his experiences with Michael to his grave. He wouldn't tell his wife. He wouldn't tell his mom. He wouldn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. That trial lasted four months. When it ended, people were crying outside of the courtroom when they found out he was not guilty on all 10 counts. Mm -hmm. A woman was releasing doves for every count that he won. That's so weird. It's bawling. Even through all this and defending him so hard and everything, Wade felt, he felt for the boys who came forward but weren't believed, but he still felt like he hadn't experienced abuse. Yeah. Something that he had said was, I loved Michael, Michael loved me, this was something that happened between us and that's it. Right. Like, that's what he truly believed at the time. 
July 25th, 2009, Michael Jackson's dead. 50 yeah. years old. Right. If you were aware at the time, yeah. the world was upside down I know over this shit. I know where I was and what I was, what I was doing when 9-11 happened and when Michael Jackson died. Yeah. Yeah. After this, Wade was a mess, not talking to anybody. He crazy dove into work. And it wasn't just the fact that Michael had died. I mean, it was, this went beyond Michael's death and he could feel that. Like he knew it wasn't just because he had died, but he wasn't doing well, like mental health wise. Like he would work like crazy and then go into a lull of depression and then work like crazy in depression. He felt like he was going to have a heart attack. He had multiple nervous breakdowns and nobody knew it was wrong and he didn't even know. So in 2010, he still didn't understand why he was an emotional mess. He was deeply, deeply depressed. I isolating himself, unable to identify why he felt that way. Something his wife said that really like gave me the chills was whatever was going on inside of him, it was relentless. Mm -hmm. Like carrying that around, I just got chills again saying it. So after this Wade saw a psychiatrist, he told him his entire life story. He told him all of the mentorship and the friendship and the everything with Michael and left out the abuse. And the therapist was like, and? <laughs> And you know, he knows about it. Like throughout this therapy and everything, he told his wife, he's like, I just don't know who I am. And she said that there was terror in his eyes all the time. Like what a horrible place to be and not be able to identify it. Like yeah. we're listening from the outside going like, oh, just say it out loud. He's not aware. Or just like connect the dots in your brain. Yeah. Like, but you, they, I feel like people do different things to protect, their brain does different things to protect them. Yeah. He wasn't themselves. even consciously trying yeah. to protect himself in yeah. it. So Wade and his wife have a baby boy. The baby's a year and a half old. Wade started having images of his son experiencing what happened to him, like happening to his son. Mm -hmm. And it filled him with intense rage. And it took him that, like he knows that he would, maybe never would have connected it if it's, it wasn't for his kid. It took him that to be like, oh my God, this was, I was molested. Yes. Yeah. Because if that happened to my son with a grown man, mm -hmm. I would consider that being molested. Oh my God, that happened to me. Yeah. He yeah. said, quote, how can I have such clear feelings, negative, horrible feelings about that sexual stuff happening to Koa, his son. But when I think about Michael and I and all of that sexual stuff going on, I don't feel anything. That's probably kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So he decided he had to talk about it in therapy. He told his therapist, he told his siblings and his wife. And after that, he had what he called an emotional upheaval. Mm -hmm. It ripped his whole family apart. But I wanted to make it clear that that was happening long before anyone knew about the abuse. Mm -hmm. It happened as they were each being conditioned to depend on Michael by Michael. Michael replaced his dad. Wade barely had a relationship with his father once Jackson was in the picture. 2013, three years after first speaking his truth, Wade goes public. And of course, people fucking hated him for it. Mm -hmm. I went down a message board K-hole and it is a wild ride. Any conversation surrounding Michael Jackson that you're going to find on the internet or commentary or anything is intense on both sides. Yeah. So there ended up being a court case brought uh, regarding Wade and James Safechuck, the other guy in the documentary. And that case was thrown out, but then brought back because statute law was changed. And it's just a whole mess that apparently is still in litigation. It was decided by a judge after a bunch of public shit that it would be dealt with privately in closed court. So I have no idea where that's at or how that's going, if it's resolved or what. I'm going to believe a survivor first, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And so I'm not going to apologize again for like believing this person. And like, you know, it's just his accounts and whatever. Like he's dead. He can't hurt any more kids is where we're at. But something that Wade said was, quote, I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's fucking huge. So I'll leave you with this. If you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse... Help is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline, 800-656-HOPE. 
and on rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org. Cool. Wow, what a bummer. You say that every fucking time I do a chaser. It's <laughs> good. All right, everybody. Next week, we have season five, episode 20, Lowdown. An ADA is found dead. It looks like he was killed by a sex worker, but it may be someone he knew trying to keep him from blowing their cover. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Mm. I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Rate and review us. Five stars. Toss them if you got them. <laughs> Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us stuff. You know, Tasha's birthday is coming up July 4th, right? It is. I'm going to be 40. It's still May, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. And then check out our Instagram, at SVUPod. Get pod merch and more at SVUPod.com. And then join the Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. We have a chat group called Walk and Talk, and I just love it. It's so good. Even if I don't jump in and chat, y'all, I'm reading all of the stuff. If I don't don't participate, I'm still reading everything and loving it. Yeah. Hashtag a little bit loud for indie pods. And if you are an indie pod, hashtag it so other people can find you. Yeah. And join the Patreon. We got a ton of extra content, an obscene amount of extra content. It's gross. It's <laughs> because we like you. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> oh, what, is that Mary blew me on a pontoon once? Mary? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my God. Is that Mary the best tits in the biz? <laughs> Clark? <laughs> We call her busy tits. No, 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 and to our Lee Squad patrons, Sonia W, Marissa M, LKH, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W. Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Kate H, Uyangna, Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katarina G, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jenna M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac, Mac Attack. Jeez. Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, Kaylin, Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zanin J, Nada M, Sun, Christina D, Madison H, Emily, you had me at hello. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Amberly C, Louise M, Sapphire, Monica K, Katie S, Trish S, Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Sarah J, Caitlin S, Emily D, and Kate Ash. Kate, Kate Ash. <laughs> and Katie Kate H. H. Katie H. And Kate Ash. <laughs> Katie H. Oh, jeez. We love you and appreciate you. Thanks for fucking supporting us and letting us do what we like to do. And Thanks, you guys. Fucking laughing at our stupid shit. And we love you guys. Love you. <laughs>